Hello again. Thank you for joining me. This episode two of The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. I will be going over chapter six through ten in this one. I will will warn you, this has spoilers, so if you're reading along with me, just be aware of the chapters that we are going over today. And if you haven't read the book or haven't started it, I recommend go to the next ep the episode before this one and read along with me. If you're just listening in just because, hey, you don't want to read the book, but you want to know what it's about, you're more than welcome to keep coming with me. So chapter six. In this chapter, Jude tells some untold stories of what what is really like to live in fairy. She claimed that she was too much of a coward to say it before, and it seems like now she's willing to tell it because she's trying not to appear weak. So she's starting to tell these tales. And I think it's like a small way that the author written the character that she's gaining her confidence. So she's not as afraid. So she's willing to talk about it now. So the first story she shares is one of the Maddox guards bit the very tip of left hand of her finger. And something that I didn't recognize before until this chapter was that out of, out of a nervous habit, she actually rubs the ring finger of her left hand when she's nervous. And it was kind of a small detail. And then when you read this, you're like, oh, that's, that's why she does that. So the guard hated mortal so much. That's why he did it. And if she told anyone that he would eat the rest of her. And of course she believed it. So the, another story was when Jude was hiding underneath a banquet table, someone pulled her from underneath and made her drink a fairy drink. And which is like one of the roles that you just do not do. So she was dancing and could not stop and everyone on the outside thought she was just being happy enjoying life in reality she was being she was forced into it then you know and couldn't stop so eventually someone did find her and stopped her and she dropped her off in front of ariana you know like as if this was an inconvenience here you go here's your package <laughs> and then the third one was when oak was about four years old at the time he accidentally glamoured Jude and into making her do whatever he wanted to do because she forgot to wear her rowan berries or was caught without them. So he, she, he glamoured her and then it got to the point where he was forcing her to slap herself repeatedly, would not stop because he thought that was funny. You know, I think about that, you know, sometimes, you know, when there's a kid that wants you to do something and they think it's funny and then you do it like 15, 20, 25 times and it never gets old for them, but it gets old for us adults. I think of that moment and I'm like, man, wouldn't that suck just not being able to stop in that moment? So Oriana heard about that. Jude at the time decided not to do anything about it. She just kind of washed it away and just put her feelings aside and Oriana kind of lost respect for Jude because she's like, you should have avenged yourself. And she's like, it's not worth it. You know, in page 46, this is what she says. Here's why I don't like these stories. They highlight that I'm vulnerable. No matter how careful I am, eventually I make another misstep. I am weak. I am fragile. I am mortal. I hate that most of all. Even if by some miracle, I can be better than them. I'll never be one of them. I see that chapter and it's like she's coming to kind of realize that she'll never be a part of the fairy group or the fairy place. She's just so mortal that she'll never be a part of them. So this one goes to chapter seven. This is uh, where you see a lot of the retaliation for her salt on the food to Prince Cardin and his group. 
So port, uh, page 47, appeasing them won't help. I tow a stone with a slipper-covered foot. The more they get away with, the more they believe they're entitled to have. And it's like a, it's like a small way that, that Jude is kind of recognizing that they can't just get away with what they're doing and she's standing slowly standing up to them. I don't know. Sometimes I look at the writing and go, uh, I tow a stone with a slip-covered foot. It's like she's speaking her opinion, but she's kind of like hiding it and still t a little scared to speak up against it, even to her sister. So when Taryn and Jude start home, uh, that's when basically crap hits the fan. Prince Cardin and his gang decides to grab them and eventually shove them into the river and also opening their school banks to dump the contents in the river. Valerian taunts them saying there there's Nixies in the river. If the river doesn't get them, the Nixies will come over and pull them down under other anyways. Any and also some more verbal jabs for Narcasia, whatever. So Cardin decides to manipulate them by to to save them out of the river, even though he pushed them in. He first suggested that if they quit their lessons and tell Maddox that they are they don't belong, he'll save them. He'd be willing to save him and um and save the sister. And and Jude was almost willing to do it just to save Taryn. So Cardin made another offer to Taryn that if he if she climbs up, kiss Cardin both on on the cheeks show Jude that she'll always be alone, he will also save her as well. He's like, oh, if your sister was willing to save you, you should be willing to save her. Taryn does decide to do what Carradine wants. I feel like that's such an emotional way to hurt someone because I felt like Jude understood, but it just hurt still because there was kind of like shows that Taryn was willing to do whatever it took to not stand up to Cardin. Cardin claims that he and his friends can do mean things to her because they are not mortal and they can break Jude. Told her to give up. Jude was like, never. Cardin eventually told her to think about her answer and that's the least they could do for Jude. Like he's, a, like he's generous or something, right? So on page 52, this is where I think some things change mentally for Jude. On page 52, it says she thought how much she hated them and herself. And then she doesn't think about anything as she puts one foot before the other. All she can think about getting back to a hot bath, a bed in a world that isn't hers, it might never be. And I like how each page in transition, you kind of see how much Jude wants to be a part of this world. And as she gets picked on, bullied on, reminded how mortal she is, she's starting to realize, this is not my place and I'll never be a part of it. So in chapter eight, this one's a long chapter. It looks like the uh, the sisters the next day go to visit the mortal world in this chapter. Apparently it's not hard at all. It's kind of common for Vivi to go into the mortal world once she figured out how she how she can do it. Uh, so it's basically by ragwort steed. It's all she had to do is pick a ragwort stalks. Don't ask me what it is. I have no clue. You, she blows on it and then steed, rise and bear us where I command. And bam. They're able to go where they need to go, apparently. There was a time that they actually ran away from Fairy when they tried to live on their own when they were pretty young. But uh, Jude and Taryn hated it. They only lasted about two weeks before they started begging to go back. Because on page 59, they said, We missed our beds. We missed the food we were used to. We missed the magic. You know, for somebody that never really was born into that world, I thought that's very interesting. But you kind of understand why later. So the next morning at the situation at the river, basically, Vivi uh, convinces Taryn and Jude to go back to the mortar well and go to the mall. I did get a little bit of a cackle when they parked their little steeds, their ponies in the parking lot. And she's like, oh, remember where you parked? 
So there's also an opportunity for Vivi to introduce her girlfriend, uh, um, explaining a, a grand plan to all of them that moving back to the mortal world and moving in there with her girlfriend. I do wonder for the girls how they will succeed in the mortal world if they never been to the school. They never really kind of are used to the life of luxury in in the fairy world and being put in in the mortal world it'd be totally different than what they're used to you know jude was like it's easy for you to say that because i didn't grow up in the mortal world i mean she was basically yanked out of the mortal world very young at a very young age so there was a conversation that was made about jude going against prince Cardin. she's like you know you probably need to retaliate harder basically you know she she's an instigator basically in this book she's also like challenging her on the knighthood she's like are you sure that's really gonna fix all your problems makes me wonder it makes her jude question like is it really really gonna fix things but jude is really convinced that getting this power being a knight would just really solve her problem she could become untouchable so we get finally introduced to Heather, Vivi's girlfriend, and it turns out that Vivi is lying a lot about her background and where she comes from, and she is really trying to avoid it because it means also that she would have to meet Maddox, and she's like trying to protect this girl from the fairy world, which is crap. I mean, if you think about it, Vivi's mother, and which is also the mother of Taryn and Jude, is a human person who married a, a you know a folk a fairy and she was killed for leaving the fairy world so it's like she was trying to protect that from being that girl from being pulled into a world that she never really wants to be in so after the mall they decided to head to cvs so she was talking about having tamp getting tampons because apparently it's really hard as a as a woman to be in the world because fairies only menstruate once a year basically as she was leaving this boy with spiky hair and a chain wallet which i'm thinking 90s in this <laughs> closed uh i guess he grabbed her wrist and without even thinking about what she was doing she decided to swing her fist into his jaw and she doesn't stop there she kicks the guy in the stomach as he falls to the ground and was going to kick him or crush his windpipe but somehow stopped because there were people starting to show up. They escaped before anything else could happen. And I guess Jude in that moment felt a little power at that moment. She's like, oh, that feels great. I'm, I want to do this. I want more. And justifying to Vivi that this is why she can't go back to the mortal world because of her actions. She likes chaos, the, the violence, you know, I guess that's what she wants and she's like i can't make it in this world because of it i mean i mean granted she does act like that on a normal day she would be thrown in jail pretty easily but in the fairy world violence is pretty common it, you know it's normal it's normalized so it's it's very different so and also at that moment she solidifies that she is going to join the summer tournament no doubts about it so the next day at the lessons jude saw Cardin and taryn alone and she saw that taryn was weeping not knowing what she's what was said jude rushed to Cardin and shoves him so hard into a tree and tells him to never approach her sister again and of course Cardin says that jude will regret those actions page 66 it says i don't think he realizes just how angry i am or how good it feels for once to give up on regret it's like Jude is slowly changing on her ideas, on her her beliefs, per se. She's like basically not regretting much anymore. So in chapter 9, Jude tries to confront Taryn about what Cardin said to her, and Taryn refused to say anything that was spoken to her. Page 68 says, that's why I'm telling you. 
but what Cardin said to me doesn't matter and what to pretend it didn't happen. So I need you to pretend along with me. No reminders, no questions, no cautions. Page 69, when Jude asks what Taryn wants to do with how, she, how to respond, I want you to fix things to him, she says. Prince Cardin's got all the power. There's no winning against him. No matter how brave or clever or even cruel you are, Jude, in this before you really get hurt. Jude responds, I can't. And I'm like, thank goodness. You know, as a reader, what would you do in that situation? Would you be a Terran or would you be a Jude? Would you be a Terran and say, hey, it's no use. Stop fighting. They'll leave you alone eventually. Or would you be a Jude or standing up for yourself, even though there's consequences to standing up to yourself for yourself? I, I, I go back and forth because I'm like a rule follower. And I'm like, I would totally want to do that. Don't rock the boat. Just stay in your lane. Don't bother one. Keep your head down. And then there's times where I'm like a Jude where I see the injustice of the situation. How is that fair to be treated like the way they are just because of who they are? Right? Taryn wants Jude to tell Prince Cardin that she quits and she's given up. It's just words. You don't have to mean them. And I'm like, that would break my soul if I was just told to say something and try not to make them seem like they're nothing to those words and I'm like it's just like saying tell them you're sorry but I don't feel sorry <laughs> so I'm like it's kind of like that same way almost <laughs> and so Jude does stand her ground I think in the end, end of the day I think she's like I, I just can't crumble like this at the so at the summer tournament the next day the elf king and the sons and daughters were there to watch it and I believe Maddox is there to watch it as well. And so basically how this works in the tournament, that there's two sides fighting and there's three wars. So basically they fight with each other on three different occasions. And Jude so happens to be on the opposite team or the opposite side of Prince Cardin. So for her first battle, June remembers what her sister says and the night before, and she fights very defensively, avoiding Cardin and his crew. She tries to be as docile as possible, not trying to draw any attention to her, right? And then, <laughs> basically, I feel like sometimes the way things are approached with Jude by Cardin is that he's poking a bear, basically. So he decides to approach her after the first battle to comment how docile she's being and sister Taryn must have domished her or basically corrected her. Like how it's said that he would, Taryn would do anything to get favor with Cardin and his group and he would never white gown and grass her. It's so weird how they say it. Basically, it's like the same term as the rough and tumble in the haystack. So I think it kind of lit a fire under her butt when that was said, because not only was he saying, oh, you're falling in line, you're docile, but he's also kind of insulting uh, Taryn, basically. So she started to actually fight in the next war. She started beating the crap out of Cardin and his crew. She does that for the third battle as well. She fights really hard. She defeats them. She was pretty victorious in those. But what really sucks is that after the fight, she noticed that Maddox, who was supposed to be there, and she was hoping to prove that she's worthy of, you know, being a knight, wasn't there the whole time. He was gone and he wasn't watching her. So when Jude gets off the field, Cardin is basically waiting for her. I mean, obviously, when you hear that sentence, you know something's going to go down. He grabs her face, grabs her hair, starts insulting her for being mortal, and challenges her to that she can't really win against him. And Cardin lets go and commands Jude to get on her knees and beg. 
So with Taryn in the background watching, Jude seriously considers it because the same things were coming to her mind. It's just words. It doesn't hurt to surrender. And I think she was about to do it and she was lowering herself and then she stops herself. She's like, I couldn't bring myself to do this. It's like she's finally giving in if she decides to kneel and beg. So page 66, well, I think you're an idiot. Since we started being tutored together, you've gone out of your way to make me feel like I'm less than you. And to coddle your ego, I have made myself less. I have made myself small. I have kept my head down. But it wasn't enough to make you leave. Taryn and me alone. So I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to keep on defying you. I'm going to shame you with my defiance. You remind me that I'm a mere mortal and you're the Prince of Fairy. Well, let me remind you, that means you have much to lose and I have nothing. You may win in the end. You may inscore me and hurt me and humiliate me, but I will make sure you lose everything I can take from you on the way down. I promise you this. I throw his own words back at him. This is the least of what I can do. Oh gosh, I love it. I love it. She's like recognizing that she may lose, but she's going to do it well. <laughs> she's going to lose well. And she's going to bring him down along with him. You can see Cardin is just kind of stunned in that moment. And he just stares. And then when Jude walks away, he doesn't follow her. And I think that's just, he's just shocked. Locke uh, caught up with her and told her that it was funny that Jude can actually get under his skin, Cardin's skin. And no one bothers him as she does and to keep it up. So, and there was a shared moment between Locke and Jude. And that she thinks she, I think she finds him attractive. She's shocked that even someone is noticing her. So I'm going to, I'm kind of curious how that relationship is going to form since Locke is kind of like the nicer um, person of the Prince Gardens group. So in chapter 10, um, it goes, the summer tournament continues that and still no sign of a Maddox. Jude heads home alone after the tournament when she was cooking some cheese over a fire, which um, sounds really good right now, that there is a prince in Maddox's study and he wants to see her. Thinking that's Cardin, she goes into the study and literally kicks the door open and sees that there was a prince, but it wasn't the prince that she was thinking about. It was actually Prince Dane, which is the third born of the Elf King. He asks why she stormed in here and he replies, she replies that it's no one. Prince Dane is surprised that she can lie. I mean, she's mortal. Fairies can't lie in this world. They, they can't, they're magically bound not to lie, but since she's immortal, she she basically lies at her teeth all day long, basically. So he did this weird thing. He's like, lie for me again. Do it again. Like, it was amusement. And she just kind of makes him some stuff up. And, uh, uh, lies. And, he, and Prince Dane is like, how does your father use you in this talent? She's like, he doesn't. So I think things get very interesting at this point. I mean, this whole book is starting to be very interesting. Uh, Prince Dane asks what Jude wants. And then, of course, she replies that she wants to be his knight. And then he asked again, like, what else do you want? No longer wants to be immortal, but she held back because she feels like she'll never be a part of the Fae. She'll never be a part of them. She feels like that's an unreasonable thing that can never happen for her. So she actually asked for the next best thing, which is the one thing that she's been really wanting because she keeps thinking about Oak, of what happened with her younger brother being forced and, you know, being enchanted to do things she didn't want to do. So she's like, I want to resist enchantments. In exchange, Prince Dane says he wants Jude to join his court of shadows, basically a court of spies. If she serves him well, he will put Geese a protection for uh, from enchantment on her. Geese is basically usually given to mortals to exchange for their service, but it does come with the price. For ex um, for example, 
that they use in the book is that you will win every battle you're in, but you're not allowed to refuse any invitations to dinner, like things like that. So basically, you get a glorious side to something, but there's a cost to it, no matter what. So Jude accepts this offer because she doesn't want to be controlled anymore. And that was her condition. She's like, I don't want to be controlled anymore. So that she's, that's like the whole drive in her book or in her story. She doesn't want to be controlled. But as Prince Dane does this, the spell on her, page 88 says, From this day forward, no fairy glamour will idle your mind. No enchantment will move your body against your will. None save for that of the maker of the skis. No one will be able to control you. He says, and then pauses for a moment, except me. Jude uh, should have guessed that this would happen in their bargain, but she guessed she didn't think about that. And she's like, All right, it, it is what it is at this point. But she is very happy and thrilled that she has this protection now. This is kind of like the one thing that one of the one things that she wanted so desperately. So and right then and there, she pledges her allegiance to Prince Dane in then and there, right in that in that office. So. All right, that is chapter six through ten. I am so curious about how things are gonna roll going forward, just because of the fact that she's finally getting what what she desires. But what is the cost that's gonna be to have that now? So I'm gonna see, you know, with this book being known for its political intrigue, I'm I'm gonna I want to know what happens next. Her serving Prince Dane. All right. Chapter 11 through 15 will be next. I'm looking forward to reading with you again.